reporting from Combo's Court. Don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button. Combo Nation, <laughs> what up, what up, what up everyone? Welcome to episode 297, you heard that right, episode 297 of Combo's Court, and I am Combo. Don't forget to rate, review, and if you haven't already punched down on that subscribe button, share this episode with a friend, share it on social media, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, share it on your IG stories, and tag me on Instagram at 12combo, that's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Today's show, Jared Dubin, who covers the NFL at CBS and the NBA everywhere else, including 538, joins in to talk about New York NBA free agency, the Ben Simmons situation, and more. A fantastic conversation with Jared. Can't wait for you all to hear it. You can find Jared on Twitter at J-A-Dubin5. That's J-A-D-U-B-I-N-5. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. Jared Dubin covers the NFL at CBS, the NBA everywhere else, including 538. Welcome to Convos Court. How are you feeling today, Jared? I'm doing all right. Thanks for having me. Jared, you're a New York guy, right? Yeah, I'm in Brooklyn. Okay, okay, New York. I think it's a good time for New York teams when it comes to the NBA. Um, obviously, the Nets are title favorites by most. The Knicks seem to be on a better trajectory than they've been in a while. What have you made? <laughs> what have you made of their off seasons? Yeah, I mean, well, look, it's uh, it's a better time to be the Knicks than it's been for most of my adult life. Um, right. Much to my chagrin, obviously, I've been a Knicks fan my whole life, so. There, I mean, last season was one of, I don't know, twice in the last 20 years that they've been actually pretty good. So that was pretty interesting. Um, obviously, the Nets, like the roster is just so good already. And then I think they have, you know, one of the most underrated signings of the offseason, bringing in Patty Mills, who's just like the kind of player that they didn't really have last year, like the kind of microwave scorer off the bench with the ball in his hands. They had some guys that could score off the bench, but not necessarily guys that could get their own. It was guys that, you know, like Landry Shannon running around off the screens or Blake Griffin before he was starting or Jeff Green coming in and shooting threes off the cash, things like that. Mills can can do those things, run around off screens like Shannon did, but he also has been, you know, a point guard at times in the past. Their bench unit now with him and Bruce Brown, um, they still have some of the guys that they had there last year coming off the bench too. Nick Claxton presumably will have a bigger role. Like it, it's just a really good team. They can play a lot of different ways. It's going to be really interesting to see if they can stay healthy is the most important thing. But I, I really love that Patty Mills pick up for them. And then with the Knicks, I mean, at, at first it seemed sort of underwhelming because we didn't get the full picture right away. You know, the, the right. re-signing deal were the ones that were reported first and the Evan Fournier deal as well. 
and they were initially reported as like fully guaranteed deals and then it came out that maybe there were partial guarantees on the final year and then it turned out in the end that there are team options on the final year of all of those deals and the reason that they weren't going after any of the point guards was because they were getting Kemba Walker for you know a, a below mid-level exception type of deal so you know I think they upgraded at both backcourt spots with with Kemba and Fournier and specifically in the area that they needed in terms of off the dribble creation it's going to hurt their defense a little bit because both of those guys can be hunted. But, you know, that's what you have Tibbs for. Tibbs is the guy that brings you defense. And that's why they brought back all their big guys and most of their wings is so they can try to, you know, keep themselves afloat on that end. But what you saw in that series against the Hawks was they desperately needed guys that could create other than Julius Randle and Derrick Rose who just can't play enough minutes because of his knees and his age. So they got that. So I thought they did pretty well too. Do you feel Kemba will get back to where he was before the Celtics? Because I know a lot of people point to the injuries, but when you actually watch him play, he's moving pretty well. Shots might not fall all the time. I think the Celtics had issues because they just had a lot of ISO scores and not a lot of connectivity on that team. And I think that's still an issue. We could get to them later. But do you think Kemba will look a little bit better with the Knicks? Not that he looked bad with the Celtics. Yeah, I mean, I think it's – it's a more advantageous situation for him because they need him to have the ball in his hands. Whereas with the Celtics, it probably wasn't ideal for him to have it because they wanted Tatum or Brown to be the ones doing a lot of the creating. With the Knicks, he's going to be the guy I think that they trust to have the ball in his hands more often than not, and that works better for him. The injuries are more about keeping him off the court than about limiting him when he's out there. I think when he's been out there, he's been pretty good for the most yeah. part. You know, Toward the end of the season, he got back in more of a rhythm, but then he got hurt again. And then he came back and it just wasn't really the same. When he was on the court with the Celtics for most of last year, he was quite good. It's just, you know, he missed that stretch at the beginning of the season. He missed some time in the middle of the year. That's, you know, I think they're going to have to manage his minutes. I think they're going to have to manage him on back-to-backs. And I think they're going to have to do the same with Derrick Rose. And, you know, it, it, I think it helps to have both of them because they will allow them to manage each other. It's just got to be an edict to Tibbs that they both need to be managed, I think. Kemba's from the Bronx. He always seems to play well in the Garden, either in college or the NBA. So we'll see how that goes. I think it'll go well. I still remember what was the, the triple overtime game against Syracuse. That was my maybe my sophomore or junior year of college. I can't remember which it was. And I watched that game at like four different bars. It was, just <laughs> it was, it was insane. We mentioned the Celtics and their connectivity. Do you think they've done anything to actually fix those issues? And do you, did you see those issues as well last season? Definitely. I mean, a lot of it last year, I think, was they were one of the teams that was most affected by COVID. You know, they had Jason Tatum have COVID, and he was very yeah. open about it kind of lasting throughout the year for him. Fournier, as soon as he got there, got COVID and then just was not able to really play. For them after he got there they had guys in and out throughout the entire season i think they only played like seven games during the regular season with all of uh smart tatum brown and walker together that's just crazy you know they just they just didn't really have their top guys and that's a big problem obviously when it's sort of a, a more stratified roster than they're used to where they really had you know a top half of the roster and a bottom half last year one of their strengths in the early part of this Brad Stevens era was never having bad players on the floor. And that 
yeah. know, sort of lifting them above other, you know, average-ish teams. I don't think that was the case for them last season, especially because they had all the injuries and all the COVID issues. And, and I think that, that that sort of torpedoed their offense at times and not having smart for a lot of the year really hurt their defense. That's interesting. It, it is always good to have five players on the floor, and it's always good to have five players that can make it three. I think people underrate that when the Kawhi Raptors, because obviously Kawhi was there, but they had five good players on the court most of the time and five guys that oh, can yeah. make it three. I think that's underrated. Yeah, I mean, look, especially once they got into, like, the second round and beyond in the playoffs, they were basically playing, like, seven guys, essentially. Yeah. They were playing their starters, and they were playing – Powell and Van Vliet off the bench uh, and Abaka, and that was pretty much it. You know, like that's that's kind of what teams really need to do now is just only play the guys that can be on the court because they can play on both ends and they are live threats when they touch the ball on offense. And, you know, in the regular season, it's a little bit different. You can get away with playing one-way players. You can get away with playing center that are, you know, just defensive guys or, you know, just post-up guys or whatever it is. It's not like that in the playoffs. During the regular season, it's an advantage to have a lot of depth, though. It, it's a lot of times you might have guys that need to sit out, whether you're managing minutes, you know, managing workloads back-to-back. Some guys get hurt and have to miss a few games. Having a 9-10 deep rotation that you could go to is really, really valuable. But you see in the playoffs, it's not necessarily as valuable because the other teams are going to play – their best guys, 40 or so minutes. And if your best guys aren't as good as the other best guys, it doesn't matter how much more depth that you have. Yeah, and to your point, the team with a smaller rotation is usually in a better flow or rhythm. It's hard to get 10 or 11 guys in a flow or rhythm of a basketball game. That's why everybody was begging Mike Bunnels over years to stop playing 10, 11 guys in the first quarter of playoff games. And look, you know, the first time he did it, they won the title, so... The internet was right for once. <laughs> Most definitely. Uh, speaking of the Bucks, if the Lakers stay healthy, if the Nets stay healthy, um, do they have a chance to repeat? Do you like their chances? Yeah, I mean, look, they still have Giannis, and they yep. still have you know complimentary stars in, in Chris Middleton and Drew, and they still have a really good defensive scheme. I mean, they've been you know over the last three seasons combined, they've probably been the best defensive team in the league and they showed this year that they can play more than just that classic Mike Budenholzer drop scheme that they played throughout the first two years. And that, that was a big part of why they went and got Drew. So they can do more switching and they could do more creative things like that away from them. Maybe they could pick somebody up during the year that can sort of replicate that skill set so they can switch a little bit more when they get to the playoffs. But I mean, they have arguably the best player in the league. They have a good coach. They have good shooting. They have flexible players. They have multiple guys that can create their own shot. Like, it's still a really good team. Like, are they the, are they the favorite? Probably not. But they're among the favorites, certainly. And they're probably the best team position to take advantage of an injury by the Nets, you know? What do you make of the Lakers? It's going to be interesting, man. Like, I... I I like that once they got Russ, they leaned into what's been successful for LeBron teams in the past, which is just loading up on guys that can stand around him and shoot. Like they went and got, you know, Malik Monk, Wayne Ellington, Carmelo, all these different guys that are just shooters. And they, they, you know, they brought back 
THT. Um, I'm, I'm not sure that you know Rondo is going to do much for them, or uh, apparently now they might bring in DeAndre Jordan or whoever else. Like, not sure how much that does. But the thing I didn't like about their offseason last year was that they went away from the formula of you know LeBron is co-star plus shooting, and they went yeah. toward more like we need to find guys that are going to sustain the offense when LeBron and AD are on the bench. And that's just like, to me, they were trying to solve a regular season problem when if you have LeBron, to me, you should only be trying to solve playoff problems. The year before I wrote about their off season when, you know, they signed Danny Green and they brought KCP back and they signed like Jared Dudley, Avery Bradley, uh, Boogie Cousins and all these different, it was, they just brought in a bunch of guys that were shooters of all different sizes. And I wrote for 538 about how they were replicating the previous successes of LeBron teams. It worked out and they won the title. You know, that's not a guarantee that it's going to happen every time, but I like that formula for them a lot better than the one that they had last year when they got Dennis Schroeder and Montrezl Harrell because, you know, they wanted their second unit offense to be good. When LeBron's playing 40, 42 minutes in the playoffs, you don't care about your second unit offense. Care about the guys that are out there with him, and you can't have Dennis Schroeder standing around or Montrezl Harrell not able to play defense. You need shooters, and you need guys that can defend. And they mostly got shooters and not really guys that can defend. So we'll have to see just how much LeBron and AD can be a defense by themselves. Yeah, I think the Lakers are really interesting. Um, I think they could do some creative things when it comes to their coaching staff. It'll be interesting how they go about that. I think a major key for them is how AD shoots the three because Russell probably won't knock down the three. So we need AD to knock that down. And this might sound crazy to some, but I want to see Russell Westbrook playing some of that super Bruce Brown type basketball. I think he could play that type role when it comes to the Lakers. If he's willing to do it, he would be great at it. Um, In the past, he has not really been willing to do much of anything when he's away from the ball. Um, And that's kind of been an issue for him. Um, you know, we'll see. Like, I, I think he would be great in that sort of, like, I, I started calling it during the playoffs. I called it, called it the Biggie Smalls role. Because it's <laughs> right. a, a Biggie who's like a small, like a big dash Y small guy. Um, and then obviously Bruce plays in Brooklyn, so that's Biggie Smalls too. Like, I, I think Russ would be great at that. And uh, I'd love to see it from him. That's a, And I hadn't even thought of that, so I'm glad you did. But... I'll believe I'm in believe it when I see it. So I wanted to shift to Ben Simmons because as of this recording, he has not been traded, but he also said that he doesn't intend. Well, we don't know if he said it from his camp. I don't know if it's him, but the reports are that he's not intending to make it to training camp. Do you think that Daryl loses leverage because Ben is not going to go to camp now? Leverage is about creating options. So I think that it's less about what Simmons does than about whether he can get one team or another to believe that there's another suitor. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I think there will be multiple suitors. So, yeah, I mean, I think there will be too. It's a question of is he actually going to want what those suitors are willing to offer? Like, one of the issues with Simmons, and I, I talked about this when I went on. Um, Real GM radio with, with Danny LaRue. One of the issues is that he's already on his second contract. So he has the superstar sized deal. So the teams that are going to trade for him are going to be trying to do the, you know, cobble together pieces for him type of deal. 
where it's like we're going to give you young players and picks, and that shouldn't really be of interest to the Sixers again because they have Embiid in prime and they want to compete right now and they need to be getting like the star. But because Simmons already has such a high salary, being able to throw pieces in with him is more complicated. And teams trading a star of their own may not necessarily want Simmons as the centerpiece of that deal because he's only under team control for like two or three more years before they have to worry about him potentially leaving. If he was still on his rookie deal, you have a much longer runway to be able to build around him, which you need because of his limitations as a player. So it's, it's all very complicated in terms of the competing um, competing interests, I guess you would say, of all the different you know people and teams potentially involved. I mean, I'm hearing the Kings. I'm hearing Minnesota. Are there landing spots that you think would make sense for him that could also make sense for the Sixers? So, I mean, I think for the Sixers, they're probably holding out for like Dane Lillard or Bradley Beal or somebody like that. And I just don't think that that's necessarily going to be of interest to the Wizards or the Blazers, particularly not now, like maybe during the season if things aren't going right or maybe next summer. But I don't think it's like a preseason thing where they're going to trade one of those guys now. And then the teams that are going to want Simmons, maybe your teams, you know, like Minnesota or Cleveland or Sacramento or the teams that are being sort of mentioned out there. But who are they getting from those teams that's going to make Philly as good or better than Simmons is? It's just it's the interests are incongruent of what the Sixers are going to want and what teams are going to want Simmons. I think. And that's why it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, uh, I wonder if it'll happen by the time this podcast comes out because things are <laughs> things are definitely heated up. All right, before we get out of here, I just wanted to ask you about Larry Nance and Portland. Um, Larry Nance is a guy that I think is interesting with a more relevant team. I'm glad to see it, but how much do you feel he moves the needle for them? Yeah, that's kind of my thing with Portland. Like, I, I think he's a really good fit there, and I think he'll help them. It's, it's to me, it's it's very similar to what they did with Robert Cover, uh, Robert Covington last year, where he's a player that makes a lot of sense and he'll be good, but it's just, it's a marginal improvement when what I think they need is sort of more of a deeper structural change to what they're doing. You know, the, the, the concept of their team with the two small guards and Nurkic is just not working for them. And I I think that they need a more dramatic shift to to the way that they're playing than just like we're going to upgrade at the three and the four we're going to bring in different looks at the three and the four which is really what they've been doing for now the last three seasons and like it'll work i think they'll be a little bit more flexible they're going to be more able to play small ball now with like covington and nance up front instead of like covington and Derek jones and i think it'll work a little bit better for them and I, you know, I think that he can shoot, he can pass, he can play defense. Yes. So he's a good player that does things that they're going to need. And I think especially I wrote last year about how often and how high on the court game was getting trapped in pick and rolls, um, getting trapped more than, than any player in the history of the player tracking era, which goes back eight seasons and getting his pick and rolls and getting defended higher on the floor than any player in the history of the player tracking era. And Nance, his ability to short roll and make a make a pass on the dribble or make a play on the dribble is going to be valuable for that. 
but it's also like if if teams are making Larry Nance beat them, I think that's a win for them. You know, it's it's not a win yeah. for the Blazers. Um, so it's it, like I said, it's a marginal improvement, but I think they, they I think they need more than that to get where they want to be. Jared, great stuff. Uh, you're always welcome back on the show. I know we could find your NFL work at CBS, but where can we find you everywhere else? And where can we find you on social media? Um, I'm on Twitter at jadubin 5 I mostly just talk about TV shows I'm watching. Um, <laughs> and I make usually pretty bad jokes, but sometimes they're funny. Every once in the blue moon they hit. Um, and uh, I'm writing about basketball 538 and a bunch of other places that, you know, I, I put them up on Twitter and then I have a, a link to my, you know, archive in my Twitter as well. So check those out, I suppose. Jared, thanks so much for joining in on the show. We really appreciate you. You're always welcome back and talk soon. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Have a good night. Anytime. There it is. Another episode of Combos Court. Punch down on that. Subscribe. But if you haven't already, thank you to everyone who tunes into the show across the globe. And thanks to Jared Dubin for joining in. We appreciate you. Combo Nation. Share this episode with a friend. Share it on social media, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. Share it on your IG stories and tag me at 12combo. That's right. Take a screenshot of this episode, post it on your IG stories, and be on the lookout for episode 298. Combo out.